Welcome back to our series, That Part, Intimacy and MS, and this is Layer 4. Yes. Today we are joined by a near and dear friend of mine, Byron Fogan. Byron and I have known each other since our teenage years. We went our separate ways in, in high school, and then after high school, we, we reconnected as adults. Um, years later, we had a relationship, and he continues to be an important person in my life. So a little bit about Byron. Byron is a former practicing attorney and currently a recovering alcoholic and compulsive gambler. He's been in recovery since 2013, and he currently works as a consultant for faith-based community development nonprofits. He also spends time writing and speaking about his experiences and active addiction and, and recovery. So over the next two episodes, you'll get a glimpse into how intimacy has impacted not only our lives, but the lives of two people who are very important to us. Welcome to season three of the Myelin and Melanin podcast. I'm Dawn. And I'm Dana. We're just two black women sharing our musings on life, MS, and everything in between. You can always find us on the web at myelinandmelanin.com, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at myelinmelanin. You can also subscribe to us on YouTube. If you're a fan of the podcast, please consider supporting us by becoming a patron through our Patreon. Patrons can gain exclusive access to bonus content, giveaways, chances to join us on the Myelin and Melanin party line, and more. We'd like to thank our music producer, Shah Sevier, for providing our podcast music over the years. You can find him on Instagram at shah.sevier, and you can also find him on YouTube. Hi, Byron. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, happy to have you. Good afternoon. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Hanging in there. Yeah. So over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about the idea of self-love. And self-love really is being the genesis of any type of intimacy. And so there's this one kind of looming question um, that we have and um, we want to hear what you think about it. So the question is, is it really possible to um, authentically receive love if you don't love yourself? What are your thoughts? Well, I certainly appreciate that question. I, I've thought about that a lot in my life. Um, you know, I talk a lot about my life as an active um you know, an active addict and someone who lives in recovery. Um, and, you know, those are two different lives, right? So mm -hmm. I, I, it's been my experience that when I was in active use, when I was an active addict, that it was impossible for me to receive any kind of love um, because I hated myself, right? You, you've got to hate yourself to continue to harm yourself the way an active addict will do. Um, and it wasn't until that I found some love of self that I was able to accept and receive love from anybody else. It just wasn't an impossibility until I was able to start 
loving myself and understanding that I was a lovable and worthy creature. Mm-hmm. I, I think that when you have an illness, you tend to feel certain, a certain amount of guilt or, or shame um, you know, that's associated with what you're dealing with. You, you don't feel worthy. You don't feel, you're not happy with yourself overall, but you're projecting this, you know, image or idea of what you think the world wants to see or what your partner may want to see. Um, I know I did that with you for sure. Um, a lot of times. So do you find that you carried around guilt or shame So when I was an active addict, the life of an active addict, um, like you described somebody with an illness is all bound up with guilt and shame, right? Um, you know, I, I was an active addict for 27 years and I'm 47 years old. So most of my life was, was kind of colored by this this desire to show the world something that I knew inside I wasn't right. Just like you said, guilt and shame, right? Um, who I believed myself to be and what I was doing was so far apart that I spent a lot of time trying to convince people, including you, Don, um, people that I was okay, not just okay, but I was great. I was fantastic. Right. So I had all the trappings of like, the life of a lawyer and all the trappings of a life of this very confident man who did these great and wonderful things. Um, I dressed the part, I looked the part, I did the things that uh, appeared to be the part, but I knew in myself, like inside, I felt like garbage. I felt like garbage. And I felt like if you got a little bit close to me, you were going to see how much garbage I had in me. So I did all these things, all this trappings, all these trappings of like success and all that stuff, um, not just to attract people or to distract them from my life and active addiction, but also to put up a barrier between me and other people, right? So it wasn't just an attraction thing. It was also a barrier, right? If, if I projected all of this, you know, all this goodness and greatness um, that somehow I would keep you at bay from, looking deep into me and looking at what I really was, because if you did that, you weren't really going to like me very much. And that's kind of the guilt and shame of it, right? That's the guilt and shame that kept me separated from other people. I don't know how you guys feel about that uh, with regards to dealing with an illness or whatever, but I mean, that, that was certainly my experience. Yeah. I I think I know for sure I put up a barrier and I, I did for quite some time um, because you don't want people to see, you know, for example, I'm using a cane. I don't want anybody to see that I, if I don't use it, I'm going to look like I'm drunk. So I, I am trying to hide that because I feel shamed that, that this is a part of me now. This is who I am. And so I don't accept that part of me. Did you ever feel that way, Dana? Right. Oh, definitely. Um, that really, that whole idea really colors the relationship that I had with my ex, Amir. And we're going to talk with him mm-hmm. next week a little bit about how, how I really wasn't 
open and honest with him in our relationship about the fact that I was sick because I didn't want to be that woman who is sick. So, I mean, I didn't have, I wasn't very symptomatic at the time. So I figured, well, if I can be in denial about it, um, it doesn't exist. And I can just continue on as who I think you want me to be. And of course he didn't, um, he didn't have those expectations of me, but I had those expectations of myself. So anyway. Right. um, That's a good point that you have an idea in your mind of who you think that person wants you to be. I've, I know that for sure. I felt that way. Felt that way with you, Byron. I know that. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So what are your thoughts, Don? Do you think that, um, it's possible to really receive love if no. you don't love yourself? No. If you don't have self-acceptance, then, mm. then what are you doing? Why, why are you even trying to even cultivate any type of relationship with a partner, a, a platonic relationship? If you're not accepting, you're always going to be doubting. Does that make sense? You know, like you're always going to be doubting. Like, yeah. Oh, am I pretty enough or am I thin enough or am I, you know, smart enough? My fun, you know? Right. Definitely. That, that reminds me, Dawn, of that meme that we were talking about the other day, that you are enough meme. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. I do. And I think. You still have it. Yeah. All three of us have this meme, so. Byron, you you had sent. Well, I'll talk about that after I read this little snippet from the meme. It says, "Enough. You have what it takes. You are strong enough. You are brave enough. You are capable enough. You are worthy enough." And I vividly remember, and we, I was having a conversation with you, Byron. And so I don't remember what we were talking about. I don't know. Maybe you mm-hmm. will, and you can ex- explain, expound on this. But we were talking, and you sent this text. And I think it was the second time that you said it, said this, and you were like, you're enough. And I'm, I'm literally looking at my phone, and I'm like, okay, what does he mean? And I start scratching my head, and I'm like, I don't know what he means. I know I'm enough. But no, I'm not enough. But I don't know. Am I enough right. for him? Am I enough for me? Like. Does he want me to like realize that with myself? But you know what I mean? Like I started to peel all of those thoughts, you know, all of them, like just because they were layered because I had so many questions. And then finally I I said, Dawn, get a hold of yourself. It doesn't matter what he thinks. It means you're enough. It's simple. It's those three words. You are enough. That's it. But did you really believe that at the time, Don? Did you like, did it take more uh, self-reflection? Do you think like, did when he sent that text to you, well, and I'll let him speak, but like, did you really like when you were reading it really come to terms with the fact that he really meant you are enough? No, not in that, at that, not in that moment. Okay. No, in that moment. Yeah. Right. And so like, I work a 12-step program. That's how I found recovery. That's not the only path to recovery, but that's how I found recovery from my addictions. Um, 
And the first step is really about acceptance. The first step is all about acceptance, acceptance of who you are and acceptance of the circumstance you're in. And it's nearly impossible. It, it would have been for me. It would have been impossible for me to come to any sense of recovery, particularly towards the bottom of my active use. It would have been impossible for me to come to any sense of recovery had I not started practicing acceptance and had people not started talking to me about practicing acceptance. And acceptance was in a lot of different areas. It wasn't just in the space of accepting that I was an addict and accepting that I had this illness, but it was also accepting who I was as a human being, right? The good, the bad, the ugly, um, the stuff that I thought was ugly that wasn't necessarily all that bad, right? The stuff, all this, this narrative that um, had played out in my head for years and years and years. And so, for example, Dawn, you and I were in a relationship, whatever you want to call it, we were in a relationship on both sides of my recovery, right? I was an active addict and we were in a relationship and I was a recovered person and we, we continued a relationship, a friendship, a whatever you want to call it. Um, and one of the things that's made me so different, made my life today so different, is the practicing of that acceptance. The understanding that this is who I am and that's okay. And even in that moment, in that moment of the conversation we were having, Don, it was me trying to share that with somebody else. Hey, look, <laughs> before... Any of the rest of these discussions can happen before any of the rest of this can even before we can find any kind of efficacy in the relationship that we have or the friendship that we have, we have to start practicing acceptance of ourselves so that we can be fully engaged in having a conversation with each other. So we can be fully engaged of giving and receiving love to one another or giving and receiving care, concern to one another, because otherwise what we're doing is we're just we're just playing around in these projections of who we think we are mm -hmm. right so it's almost like our relationship was getting uh projected onto a movie screen and there were two actors that were playing the roles of Byron and Dawn or two actors playing the roles of two people who cared about one another and loved one another but they were just actors. There was a script. There was all the rest of this. There was a script. There was, um, you know, scenes and, and props and all the rest of that. But it had nothing to do with what the reality of what was going on inside us and between us. Right. So as I'm hearing you talk, Byron, just thinking about the relationship that you had or the relationships that you had when you were actively um, using, um, not to say that the relationships weren't real because they are, they're real right. things, but it sounds kind of like they were more, since you didn't really love yourself, they were just like acts, like they were transactional. Right. Does that make sense? I don't know if that's the- It, um, it makes sense, but there's, the way I look at it is that there's there's three types of relationships that you can have if you aren't practicing self-love, right? Mm -hmm. None of them are like these mutual beneficial, efficacious relationships. There are three mm -hmm. types and they're all flawed in some way. They're either transactional in which, you know, I'm trading something of me 
to get something from you, mm -hmm. right? That's, that's one form of a toxic relationship. There's another one, which is like, um, parasitic where I, I could care less about giving you anything. You're merely there for me to take. You're right. there for me to take from you. Um, and then there's a projectional relationship, which is I need you to show the rest of the world that I'm okay. Mm. I, 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 I don't need you for any other reason. I need you to show the rest of the world that, that I'm okay. So in each one of these relationships, like there's, there's something that's kind of toxic. There's something that gets in the way of them being mutually beneficial. Um, right. Neither party really feels um, full in that, you know, in that kind of relationship. So, for example, like, mm -hmm. let's just use the projectional. Like, mm -hmm. Dawn was explaining, like, hey, I'm wondering whether I'm good enough, whether I'm pretty enough, whether I'm dressed right, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Okay. Mm -hmm. She only felt that way because she was a projection of me. I was using her as a projection of me at that point. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so she felt that way because there was probably something that I was putting out that said, Hey, yeah, you do have to be this because I'm using you. So other people look at me like, Oh man, he must be handsome because look at the hot woman he's with. Right. Cause I had no self love. I had no ability right. to find that in myself. Wow. That's deep. Yeah. Very. I mean, wow. Because I went through those three things too. I mean, now that I'm mm. listening to you explain it, I certainly did that with you. Um, and we just wow. don't do it in romantic relationships. It's right. easy to talk about this in romantic relationships, but when you're really not loving yourself, you, you think about the friends you, you, you surround yourself with, right? Like I had friends that I surrounded myself with, irrespective of whether they were good for me or not, but you know, were they wealthy enough? Were they attractive mm. enough? Like, were they the kind of man I would want to be associated with? Um, yes. <laughs> did they have the right car? And it wasn't anything right. I was doing consciously, but I certainly yeah. could see mm -hmm. that subconsciously people who didn't fit that mold were pushed out and people who did f fit that mold, irrespective of whether we had mutually beneficial relationships and in good, open, um, caring relationships, you know, I saw that these people came into my life and other people were pushed out. Right. And right. It, it, it became stark when I did start to love myself, it became stark that these people didn't belong. There were some right. people who didn't belong anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. When, when you accept, when you have that self-acceptance, you will not allow those three things to enter your life. Because to hear what you're saying about friends, I, I allowed other friends to do that, you know, and at that time, I, I felt like I was fully loving myself, but I guess I wasn't because I allowed them to do that projection. Like my, I wasn't invited to be in a wedding. Uh, I was a bridesmaid or mm -hmm. something. And later I found out the only reason why she asked you is because you're pretty. She just wanted a certain mm -hmm. look. Mm -hmm. She didn't care if you were in her wedding. She wanted a certain size. She knew that you would fit into the dress right. that she wanted. And she knew that you were pretty and her pictures would be pretty for the rest of her life. Mm -hmm. That I was just like, yep. wow. Yeah. yeah. And, and what does that say 
I mean, we already know. We don't even have to get into what that says about her because that's the whole thing. But like the fact that you as her quote unquote friend, like you probably didn't see that because you weren't at a place of really fully loving yourself. No, you know? I was just like, okay, I'm the, I'm in the pretty group. Okay. You know what I mean? Right. That, and that's, I was happy that when I, like, it was, a, I don't know, it was kind of like sick almost. It was like, oh, that's what, that's the only reason why she asked me. Oh, okay. That's okay. Right. That's you fine. accepted that. And it's like, yeah. bitch, please. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, no. Right. <laughs> well, what it feels right. like to me is like, you get, you got picked for the cool table, right? So you got picked yeah, for the court right. table. Here, here you are. You're supposed to be this grown person, but you're still psyched because you got picked for the cool table. Right. Right. With no regard yep. to how you feel about it. It's just, well, I right. got picked for the cool table. You know, it's, and not to go off on a tangent, which I often do, but it's like, when do we start or when do we stop loving ourselves? And I'm just going to give you a, an example of what I'm talking about as you guys were talking. So my nephew, TJ, he's been on the podcast. Um, he, like for his birthdays, he has like, you know, sleepovers with a couple of his friends. And there's this one particular friend that, so TJ is like one of the cool kids, okay? And there's this one particular friend in this friend group who is not, one of the cool kids, um, but he likes this kid. This kid is funny, they get along, they have similar interests, and he always invites him to the sleepovers, like with other his other friends. And um, I think to myself, and like they, not that this one kid and the other, you know, his other cool friends don't get along, but it's sort of like the, not so cool kid is kind of like, you know, it's, it's glaringly apparent that he's not a cool kid, but that doesn't matter to TJ. That's his friend. I don't care that you're not cool. And he doesn't use those terms, but of course as adults, we kind of see what's going on. And, you know, he's in uh sixth grade, but it's like, he doesn't care. You know, that's his mm -hmm. friend. He doesn't care that he's not cool. He doesn't care that, you know what I mean? And when is that going to end? And when does that end for us? Because, you know, thinking about your example, Don, of your friend who just wanted you to be, um, you know, a part of her wedding because you were pretty and you would make her pictures look good. Um, and then thinking about TJ in his whole situation where that's his friend. He might be a not so cool kid, but he's my friend and he's mm -hmm. on my team. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, when does TJ's situation end for us? Because clearly it has. I don't know. You right. know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know because we carry that for uh, quite some time. You know, because even like talking to Byron just over the years and even now in this conversation, I carried that with me. Like the her me knowing that she wanted me to be in this wedding because of how I looked. So I carried that in to a relationship or, you know, uh, this, what, what, what Byron and I had. And, and so I remember one mm. time, do you remember this Byron? You invited me to the, your Georgetown alumni 
party or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so I stressed a lot. I never told you, maybe I did, but I stressed a lot about how I looked that night. And I was like, oh my God, it's going to be so many people here that are far more intelligent than I am, probably far more beautiful and poised and like the who's who black people of, you know, DC and in politics. And like, here I am just this teacher. And, but I, and I thought back to that time when I was in her wedding and I was like, but she thought I was cute enough to be in her wedding. So I guess he's thinking that I'm cute enough to be around his friends and these people. So, you know, and her wedding was pretty big and, you know, with high powered people or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, so I'm like, I guess I'm okay. But, I, you know, I was an adult. So I don't know to answer your question. I don't right. know when that, like when we let that go. I, I don't know. Because I clearly was not accepting who I was because I thought that I had to be something else. Yeah. But I guess even beyond that too. So, you know, thinking about, um, so like when did you, what, what happened that your friend decided that she didn't want any, you know, maybe fat, ugly people in her wedding. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's some sort, there's something that happens to us to where we kind of internalize like society's expectations of what we need to project. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? You if know what I, I mean? If, if, if I may interject, um, yes. you know, I think all of us go through some kind of trauma, right? We all go mm -hmm. through some kind of trauma. Um, and some of it is just, you know, if you tell somebody, they'll be like, oh, yeah, that was traumatic. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and then others of it are like, if you tell somebody, people would be like, wow, that was trauma to you? That was nothing. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was no big deal. Um, but, you know, like we start to collect this garbage. We start to collect narratives that other people are telling us at some stage right. in our life, right? The, the healthiest among us never take on that garbage. But some of us over the course of time take on that garbage. So one of the examples I can give, I was sexually molested when I was a kid, right? Mm -hmm. This was the this was the core and the start of something that for me was very traumatic but also mm -hmm. extremely shameful. I spent years and years and years trying to figure out what that experience meant for me. And I don't mean what the experience of having that done to me was, mm -hmm. but what was the experience like that created me being the target of that, right? Was there something that I did? Was there something that I was projecting? Did I cause that? You know, mm -hmm. and here's me, you know, a 20 year old, 30 year old man still trying to figure out what that seven year old, nine year old kid was doing that mm -hmm. created the circumstance by which I was molested. Right. 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 And so then I spent all of these years kind of replaying that trauma. Right. So, um, you know, Hey, if I have more girlfriends, I can somehow erase this experience from myself. Right. Um, mm. if I somehow am handsome to women, then I, I can erase that experience because, you know, I don't want to feel that experience anymore. So I did all of these things trying to erase that trauma. But because I was repeating the trauma over and over again, 
even in relationships with women, I was really just reconfirming all the time that mm. somehow I was doing something back then that created that circumstance, right? right? Um, and so these things kind of snowball on one another, you know, an avalanche starts with a little tiny snowball. And right. as it rolls and rolls and rolls, it rolls upon itself and grows right. into this thing that's this monster that's impacting every part of your life. So it, it was my experience that it, it's just, it's that first time you feel shame. Yeah. First time you feel guilt. That if it's not stifled at that moment, that it continues to snowball because you keep on repeating it. Right. Mm -hmm. That's deep. So deep. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. I know. So, I don't, I don't know, what know what to say. say. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> but it takes, it, I, I, it just takes work. It takes work. It can be done, but it, it takes so much work to unpack that and to just come to acceptance. We keep coming. I always yes. come back to that word. Every time I talk, and Dawn can acknowledge this, every time I talk, I come back to that word. It comes back to acceptance. If you can accept mm -hmm. the circumstances, circumstances of your past or circumstances of your present, if you can accept them, then you really have a chance to do something about them. If you can't accept them, you don't have any chance. Mm -hmm. And if you can't right. accept your circumstances, how in the hell can you accept somebody's love? You can't because they're right. loving something that you haven't accepted. Exactly. How can I be right. lovable if I hate myself? Exactly. How do I trust you? You like <laughs> something I hate. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> Right. So at, at baseline, you're an idiot because you like something I hate. You like right. me. I hate me. Yeah. Wow. I mean, there's so many layers. To yes. This, like, because really, okay, answering the question, no, you can't accept love if you don't love yourself. But even before that, like, you can't love yourself if you don't accept yourself. Like, so, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's like levels to this. Uh, yes. Really. And it it takes something almost traumatic to recognize I am not practicing self-love. You know what I mean? Like it takes something jarring right. to wake you up and say, oh my God, this is this is a tremendous, you know, horrible situation. For example, like Byron, you being an alcoholic, I mean, you weren't mm -hmm. practicing self-love by spiraling out of out of control basically if i can say that um okay. and so it took you having to go through that entire experience and then going through rehab to realize i didn't love myself this is not this is not me like this is not who i want to be right and having to accept the things that happened to him right Right. You know, these are the things that happen. These are facts. You know, I was sexually, I was molested. I was this, yes. that, and the other. This isn't me, but this, this happened. happened to me. Right. And, you know, moving forward. And wow. that's where I am at this stage, 20 years later, after a diagnosis. MS, I was diagnosed at 24, 25. Yeah, it happened. But I am not 
MS, which is why I, you know, those crazy memes that we see Dana all the time. I just don't subscribe to all of those. Uh, yeah. But um, it, it has taken me to peel, taken time to peel back the layers and to get to this place of like, this is who I am. You know, I used to sit, if I can just kind of revisit this topic once more, I used to sit back, Byron mm. and Dana and say, oh, he's never, he's never going to love me. Like he's just never, because I'm, I'm using a cane now or my cognitive abilities are shot mm. to shit and I can't talk, mm. you know, like I can't sound like a normal, intelligent woman right now. Um, yeah, I just... I went through all of those emotions and now I'm like, okay, I have a mess. So what? Here I am. Right. And, and even going back to the meme that we were discussing before that you are enough, um, you know, just thinking back again to the story of, you know, Byron texting you and saying like, Dawn, you're, you are enough. And you like not being able to, accept that you know you reading it and then having to read like going down a rabbit hole of what does enough right. mean like if you really are enough if you know that you are enough like does it matter what he meant no like it, just those words you are enough period it had nothing to do with him he, right. he was telling me that for me and that was loving right. me like dawn i love you you're my friend right like i want you to be the best you and I'm talking like Byron's not here, but I, this is right. this is where I am with that. And I could be well, wrong. Right. I, I don't know, but that's just kind of what I grappled with. And I'm like, this is about me and reflect and having self reflection and recognizing where I am because right. I am projecting something to him that he doesn't like, and we need to fix that because if we're gonna have a good friendship or relationship, whatever, you know what I mean, like a situation that that we're sharing thoughts and feelings and emotions and, you know, just whatever with each other, like I need to be better or for anybody else. You know what I mean? Well, I'm, I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to push back on the better <clears throat> because I don't think it's about being better. Right. Okay. I, I think acceptance isn't about being better. Acceptance is accepting just, right. just yep. true, mm -hmm. true to your own experience. It's not a matter of being better because I, I'll tell you, I'm not a better dude today in recovery. I am an accepting dude in recovery. So you get a more authentic me today. Uh, yeah. Doesn't mean it's better because right. in some ways it's absolutely not right. Like right. the level of poverty that I experience, um, <laughs> some of the experiences I've gone through, like, you know, I, I, I went from being, a. a pretty successful, well-respected attorney to in recovery, somebody who had to admit to some conduct that was subpar and had to accept the consequences of that conduct. You know, I'm, I'm disbarred. I, I served time in federal prison, um, all because of my conduct and active addiction. But, you know, empirically, that wouldn't be better. But what it is, I live a more authentic life. I'm certainly right. less likely to commit a crime today. I'm certainly less likely to um, harm people. I'm less likely to use people. But there are some other ways where I'm absolutely not better. You know, like right. I, I'm also completely unlikely to um, 
to put on a mask for other people, right? I'm, mm -hmm. I'm unlikely to change who I am or change my narrative for other people, uh, which, you know, is better for me, but not necessarily better for the rest of the world. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I, I just would push back on better because enough, the whole concept of being enough is you don't have to be better. You just have to be you. Right, right, right. Like you're enough. Right. Period. Not Period. Dot, dot, dot. Period. Right. You know? Yeah. End of end of story. Right, right. So you know, if you're bitchy, you're enough. If you're, you right. know, yeah. If if you're sexually deviant, you're enough. If if whatever it is right. you are, like, and you accept right. that, and that's who you are, you're enough. Right. And and then you can start. You know, um, one of the things that we've talked about before, Don, is like, you know what it is you you offer to other people, right? Do you offer them yourself or do you offer them what you think they want? Mm. And and we're always going to fail if we're trying to guess what other people want. We're going to fail. Right. right. But if we offer them ourselves, then, you know, at least we have an opportunity to know, hey, if they accept this, then they must really like me. If they don't accept it, they should go on and get out of the way and let somebody else who does uh, be part of, you know, that individual's life. Right. Yes. We've had wow. that conversation several times. <laughs> 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 kind of like, like, love me or leave me alone. Right. You but know love, what I mean? But, it's but like, that's, that's only possible if each person is being authentic. Because otherwise, you yep. know, you're just left with that feeling like, oh, there's something else I should have done. Right, right. I should have said something differently in that moment, or I should have done this differently, or, you know, maybe I shouldn't have gotten that nose piercing that I got, you know, yeah, all, right. of, all of these things that, that get in the way of us really feeling our authentic selves. Right. Wow. There's so many takeaways from this conversation. And I think yes. what you just said is like, going to ring in my head for the rest of the night. You don't have to be better. You just have to be you. I love that. And yeah. taking it further, you are enough. You are period. enough. Yes. Thank you, Byron. Wow. You are just a gem and such a blessing in my life. Thank you. <laughs> oh, you've been a blessing in my life too, Dawn. And I, I support so, so much what you guys are doing. Um, you know, there just aren't enough conversations going on about where people are and acceptance and understanding. Um, and it's just, it's marvelous that, that that's what you guys are up to. It's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for your honesty and transparency and just having this conversation with us. We yes. really appreciate it. Yeah. You got it. It was great. Yeah. So. You got it. With all of that being said, where can people find you? Can you talk about, talk about you? Like you are so amazing and I love you dearly, like with every bit of myself. Talk about you, please tell us where people can oh. find you. Okay. So initially right now they can find me on Instagram. I am at sober shit and that is S O B E R underscore S H Y T. Um, my Instagram page is relatively new, but it's, uh, taking a look at some experiences some things that I'm up to 
in recovery of some things that I think are fun, some things that I think are useful, and that certainly will be growing. Um, Also through that platform, you'll see uh, links to other platforms that I'm developing. You know, I'm I'm hoping to do some of the same kinds of things you guys are doing, um, podcasting and um, some other stuff, but that's forthcoming. Um, But like I said, some other networks and some other things are opening up to me. Um, And I'm excited to share my experiences in recovery. I've been at this for almost seven years. Um, It's been a journey that's been wonderful. My life today is fuller and more authentic than it's ever been. Um, And I'm happy to share that with other people and, and, and to share that not just with people who are recovering from addiction, but people who are, you know, looking to have a more authentic experience in life. Wow. And I'm trying, thank yes, you. thank you. Trying to get him to do a TED talk, but we'll talk about that later. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely come to the TED yeah. talk. One day, one day, one day, one day, one day, one day. One day. <laughs> um, but uh, for right now, it's just, it, it's enough for me just to be mm-hmm. able to walk through the world with my head held high, yes. not feeling guilt and shame about my past, and being able to expl- explain that, you know, if a fool like me can get sober and stay sober and be happy, joyous and free, anybody can do it, you know, and uh, I've got a lot of help. I got to help with my higher power. And, uh, you know, my life is pretty cool today. And you know that you are enough. I know. I know I'm enough. I'm too much sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Thank um, you. Thank you again, Byron. No, thank you, ladies. I appreciate it, and uh, good luck in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in to the Myelin and Melanin podcast. You can always find us on the web at myelinandmelanin.com, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at myelinmelanin. You can always subscribe to us on YouTube. And don't forget to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.